You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. Jumping in, it's Catherine. And we have a special treat today. We are here in the podcast studio with Michael Ross. Welcome, Michael. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Glad to have you here. Michael is a high-performance principal and has worked with hundreds of business owners and executives from large corporations to small businesses, helping them become more effective leaders who inspire their employees and grow their revenues. His dynamic leadership programs have reshaped companies from stagnation and paralysis to highly competitive and successful organizations. That's awesome. As a college athlete and during his service with the United States Navy, Michael learned that intentional action combined with strategic disciplines can create exceptional outcomes. He's witnessed firsthand the power of unified teams and quality leadership. In building his firm and programs, he's used his education and experience to help leaders clarify their vision and enact real behavioral changes in their organization. Michael has been married to his wife, Brittany, for almost 14 years. They have four kids, almost 13, 11, 9, and 7. Busy household. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's also a coach. Kids. <laughs> he coaches his kids, and he's been friends of the Upper Room for a really long time. Michael and I both spoke at a leadership conference here at the Upper Room a million years ago when we were babies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just you know? babies. <laughs> That's when we met. And I also had the privilege of being in Michael Ross's dynamic leadership program and also sent a couple of my staff through his program. So we're here on the topic of culture today yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. The workplace specifically. And the church and the everything. Culture. That's my baby. Okay. So tell us, how how did this become your baby? What got you interested in? Um, I'm an exhorter, so I've always been somebody who just loves unity. I love seeing teams come together. I've been an athlete since I was six years old, part of teams, was a team captain, was the guy who like to bring everybody together and inspire and motivate. Let's go, guys. If we're down, we can do it. So I always had that heart. I didn't realize how powerful that was until I was in the Navy, and I was able to be put in a couple leadership positions and was able to take a few things that I knew and had learned throughout boot camp and A school and then my time in the fleet and especially when I was in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I was put in charge of a couple of teams and I was able to really bring the team together and create really good results. I didn't really know how I did that. So I wanted to study kind of the mechanisms behind what I did, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I just really followed, you know, a lot of what I learned was through Proverbs, book of Proverbs and Psalms. I read Proverbs and Psalms every day. And I would just kind of apply it, because I think that's what we're supposed to do, right? (laughs) So I would apply it to these everyday situations, and it worked. I didn't really fully understand how it all worked. So what I did was I started to fall in love with behavioral sciences. So I went to school and ended up studying organizational leadership. My expertise was on the focus of culture. What Mm -hmm. does it take to create 
a unified team, and also how do you enact change behavior? That's the big question when it comes to culture. People want better cultures. Well, really what they want is they want change. They want the team to change. They want them to be a certain way that they are not right now, and there's roadblocks in their way. And so I wanted to figure out how do you actually do this mechanistically, and how do you create some systems to where people can follow and start to create the unified and effective cultures. As I was able to do, and I was really lucky to have basis in scripture, especially Psalms and Proverbs. I mean, it was massive to my growth and leadership. That's so good. I love that because at the beginning of the year, we talked about the importance for the upper room specifically of wisdom this year, and that wisdom was going to play a really important part to our role in the community, seeking out wisdom and discernment. And so Ron Meyer's request was that everyone throughout the year be reading through Proverbs because wisdom and discernment enacts change. And sometimes we need people like you that offer it really practically. Yeah. Practically is great. The thing about Proverbs is beautiful is it's 31 chapters. Every day of the month, you can read one, and it takes you about five minutes. And that's really the key to cultural change or unification is how do I get these very complex, multi-variabled human beings that if I just ask the two of you and you ask me the same questions, the variables between the three of us is infinite. How do I get the three of us to work together as one? And really, it comes down to thinking first. You got to think, and then we got to learn how to behave, and then we have to learn how to communicate. So that's really the mechanistic process. There's complexities with that and nuances. Mm. But how do I get a group of people to think, behave, communicate as one? Was it Ron you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one way to do it. You get everyone to read the same scriptures. But then the behavior backs up because we live 95% of our lives in habit. Right. And that's where, you know, cultures get messed up. It's not because people are, they're coming to work and they want to screw everything up. I hear that all the time. Well, I just got a bunch of bad people. No, the problem is you got a lot of bad systems. Mm. (laughs) You're not teaching people how to think, behave, and communicate as one. You're giving them spotty things and telling them, well, you do your job over here. But as a group, most of the time, organizations don't communicate how to think, behave, and communicate as a group. And so something as simple as everyone reading Proverbs, now you got to back it up with behavior because behavior then releases chemicals into our bodies that we get used to. That chemical then gives us an impulse to act. That impulse that we act on gives us a result. More chemicals feeds our brain and says, that turned out pretty good or it didn't turn out well, I want to change it or I want to continue it. And then we wash, rinse, and repeat. And so you have to behave to create habits. And then once people do that, they start to communicate differently. They start to communicate a little more powerfully. Then they start to believe, which is the ultimate precedent of all action is belief. Till people change the way they think, behave, and communicate, oftentimes belief gets stagnated or it gets smaller. And so they won't perpetuate actions, which is why you see a lot of people, they can recite a lot of things, but there's not a lot of action to back it up. Well, what they're telling you is they don't really believe in what they're saying. I know I'm throwing a lot at you right now, but that's... No, that's really, that's really good. I feel like one of the things that you and I say often, you know, when we're looking at people beyond what they're saying, what's the fruit? You might say something, but is there fruit, i.e. behavior behind it? Is there proof of 
what's coming out of your mouth to be truth, belief, action, you know, those things. We've talked so much about the power of thoughts and yeah. our mind, especially when we did the values in the kingdom program. That's a big part of it is how our thoughts dictate everything. What have you found switches in people's minds to help them think better than they have been thinking? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that you have to have in any change behavior is you got to have this little fancy word called resolve, which just means you you want to. Somebody gets kind of tired of their patterns and they go, I want to change. So then when it comes to thinking, you got to first, you stop the faucet on what's creating the thoughts. You got you to turn it off because the synapses that fire together wire together. That's how our brains function. You know, we have top of our brains. We've got our neocortex. That's where we do all of our critical thinking. So we're creatures of habit. So you got to disrupt habit patterns. That's the very first thing you got to do. Simple example would be somebody is negative all the time. They think the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And you go, why do you think that? What's it? Tell me about your, what's your behavior like every day? What are your habits? Well, I wake up in the morning, I read the paper, and then I go watch the news, and then Fox News is on all day or CNN or whatever. And then, you know what, in the afternoon, I check the news feed again, and they're loading up on wars and guns and riots and rapings and stabbings and potential stock market crashes all day, every day, and they're pretty negative people. Well, yeah, of course. Shocking. So you got to first stop that, and then you got to replace. That's why David said, I love your law. I meditate on your scripture day and night because David knew the world around him offers tons of contrast with his thinking. If he does not meditate on God's law, which is life and love and goodness and purity and presence and peace, if he doesn't meditate on that day and night, too easy. I can get back in those old habits real quick and I can fall into the same type of behaviors and the traps. We've all been there. We do really well for a while and then all of a sudden we little bad habit of thought starts coming back in. You know, whatever it is. But watching the news is a, is a big one because it's 93% of newscasts are negative. And, you know, I don't watch the news. I haven't for two years. That's why I use the example a lot because a lot of people do. And I go, I never miss the news. I didn't miss what just happened in East Palestine. I know what's going on in politics. You know why? Somebody always tells you you're not going to miss the news. What I do not miss is the negativity and the way it affected me when I watched it. So that's first thing, Beth, is you got to disrupt the habit pattern. You got to evaluate. This is why self-awareness is so important. And assessments. We do assessments with all of our clients when we first start. So leadership assessments. We do culture assessments. Uh, we do business assessments because we want to see, okay, let's see where we're at. Okay, let's figure out where the habits are. Once you see it, now I can disrupt it. But we also have to be aware, too, if you're going to change, thinking is is the first part of the process, our subconscious is really stored in our bodies. Our bodies, if you think about it like this, all of us are addicts. It's an easy way to say it. Because every time we think a thought through our limbic system, we release a chemical cocktail. So this is why people have such a hard time changing their habits, because your body gets used to your chemicals. And it's like, I want my chemicals. I don't like the way you're thinking right now. Your body starts getting irritable. They're not getting the same chemicals. Your body's crazy. And it's going, what are you doing? And that's where the washing, 
that accountability, you know, making phone calls saying, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to change this habit. And I feel crazy right now. My body is yelling at me, telling me to continue my old thought patterns or my own behavior patterns. And it takes about six months for that to completely dissipate and change. You know, a lot of people lie and say it's 21 days to form a habit. It, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. It takes about six months. After about two years, you completely reform your subconscious where you, you don't remember what it was like to live the other way. That's a beautiful Wow. Be. So people, turn your news off. <laughs> it's yeah. really what you're feeding yourself all day long. And there is so much negative information in the news. I just ran across a news source. It's called 1440 Daily Digest. And it's just the news. It's just the facts. There's no, you don't know if they're Republican or Democrat or independent. It's short and sweet, takes three minutes to read. And I'm like, okay, I know what's going on. But I can feel myself sometimes when I do hear the news or am on social media, the anxiety just going like, oh my gosh, World War III is coming. And (laughs) I got to shut this off. So that is really important. And we keep saying we got to get into the word. Christians need to be reading their Bible. I love Proverbs. We I try to read a Proverbs every day, and it is very practical. Like I was doing a training, training my staff about hiring, and I let off with the verse, those that hire any passerby is brother to those who destroy. And I'm like, wow, how practical is that? And how often do... When you're looking for people to work, you're just like, you got a pulse and are you available on <laughs> yeah. Tuesdays for this shift? You're hired. And how it's a brother to one who destroys. So there is a lot of practical information in Proverbs and the Bible. And as Christians, we really need to be in it and know what it says. Talk to us about communication, especially in the workplace. What have you seen that is such a stumbling block for good culture with communication? Yeah, there's a, that's a matzo ball. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, communication is the biggest breakdown. And it's really because most organizations do not have the foundations of communication in place, which to me, an organization has its context. Every organization has context, including families. Mm-hmm. It's all context. So we got to know, first of all, if we're going to communicate effectively, what are we here to do? What's the purpose? If you ask most Americans, there's a study that just came out by Sage, 57% of Americans say that they feel like their their life has no meaning and no purpose. That is not going to be powerful communication, Mm -hmm. right? Because communication in context of an organization should be about direction. It's context. You're here to do what? To fulfill a purpose. The purpose of the organization is what? That is the first modus operandi of great communication. We know what we're here to do. Do you know what we're here to do? Do you know what we're here to do? If we all know what we're here to do, then context goes down even further, which is, okay, what am I here to do? And what are the two of you here to do? Specifically, with your skill sets, with your level of responsibility, with those who you have to communicate with, what is your responsibility? So knowing that, again, context. Next thing is vision and direction of the organization. If I know what I'm supposed to accomplish in the greater context of how it helps the organization fulfill its vision and its goals, my communication is powerful. I don't mince words. I don't have death by meeting, which is so Mm. irritating to me. I sit in meetings with clients sometimes. I'm like, 
what are we doing? We just spent $3,000 and an hour for nothing. Mm -hmm. It was such a waste of time. Everybody's experienced this. Well, it's because there's no context. Well, and if you haven't read that book by Patrick Lencioni, Death by Meetings, <laughs> you know, you hear the title and you're like, yes, down with the meetings, no more meetings. But basically, the concept of the book is some of our jobs, like my kids always laugh. They're like, what's your job, mom? I'm like, meetings. I have a lot yeah. of meetings, but your job is meetings, but it's the purpose and the outcome and the results of those meetings. Like it is your job and you need to have them. But what are you doing in those meetings? That's it's it. really important because you do have to have them, but it's not, you know, when I read the book, I'm like, oh, does this mean we're not ever going to have a meeting? But no, it doesn't. It just means your meetings need to be very poignant and powerful and with a purpose. And context is for direction. That's the context of meetings. So you're a coach of a basketball, football, baseball, softball, hockey team. Why do you call timeout? It's to refocus <laughs> direction. That's what the meeting is for. That's good. And sometimes you have to spend time with somebody, help them work through some self-debilitating belief, you know, some challenge they have with somebody else so that they can do what? Have a better way forward. Sometimes it's about course corrections. Hey, y'all, we tried this, didn't work. Not good. We're stopped. We cannot go any further. We are tried. It's not working. There's a book by McKenzie and Company called It's the CEO. It's a very detailed. If you like a lot of data, it's a great book. But it talks about how the top performing CEOs, those in the S&P 500, the top 20% highest performers, they get rid of things within three months. Those average CEOs, they wait two years to get rid of something. Whoa. And so it's direction. They get together, change. Let's go. It's not working. We're stopped. Let's try a couple things. If it doesn't work, let's move on. So meetings are for direction. And that's the same for communication. We're here to achieve a goal and an outcome. And all the ancillary benefits come down to you as an individual. Every individual is their own incorporation in the United States of America. I love America for that reason. Everybody's a free agent. Everybody. If I bring my incorporation to this organization, what are some things I want to know? I want to know where they're going. I want to know how I can contribute because ultimately we all know this. My job security is built based upon my contribution, the value I bring to the marketplace. If I'm not clear about that, what happens? This is things that mess up culture that people don't think about. And oftentimes culture now is relegated to, oh, let's give people popsicles and a bunch of attaboys and girls, and they'll be happy. No, people want to know how they contribute to this purpose so that they can then contribute to their own purpose of their family, providing for their kids' education or buying a new car or going on vacation or whatever. All the context of communication comes down to that. There's, there is a flow to it and it's a free flow. And then far as very specific pointed things, how we carry ourselves every day. That's to me, I always like to reduce to the ridiculous. <laughs> I want people to walk in the door every day with a smile on their face. Why? Because that's a choice. You can smile or frown anytime you want. I want you to choose to smile. Well, why? Because it's better to be around you. You feel better about yourself. It's specific. It's good for everybody. The way we shake hands, the way we, the way we dress, all those things matter. And then there's verbals and paraverbal details of those communications that we tell our clients all the time. We got to be intentional about every little thing because words create our world. 
And ultimately, the words that we share amongst each other is ultimately what's going to create our culture. So communication is vital, and there's so many details to it, and obviously I could go on and on and on about it. But conflict resolution is another really big one. People don't know how to do it, so they just don't do it. That turns into resentment and gossip and so forth and so on. That's a culture killer because it's a communication killer. It breaks connection. And connection is the ultimate key to communication for context and direction. I'm just going on. Oh, so good. No, I'm agreeing. (laughs) I'm over here clapping. It's fascinating to me why some people have such a hard time dealing with conflict because passive aggressive behavior does not work. You know, they'll complain to the wrong person that can't do anything about their situation. Or if you bring it up, no, I don't want you to say anything. And I'm like, "Mm, nope, you need to go talk to that person and have that conversation, which is biblical. You know, Matthew says, if you have an issue with somebody, go and talk to them. That's another principle that I think in the marketplace we need to learn. Like you have an issue, you go and talk to that person about it. You don't resolve it, then you bring bring in somebody else and try to work that out. What are some of the pitfalls that you have seen organizations run into that have kept them in a cycle of unhealthy culture? Oh, boy. That's another (laughs) matzo ball. But I'll just say the biggest one is pride. It's ego. It's narcissism. It's me before we. There's a lot of hyperbole around this, I would say, in the fringes. But there's also a lot of truth to the fact that many people get into positions of leadership and they become very egoic, narcissistic, and prideful. And I think, you know, my experience as a leadership and culture consultant is as I've spent a ton of time with executives, you know, I ask them all appointed questions. I end up becoming their pseudo-therapist, for lack of a better term. Part of my pleasure to be able to do that. But what I find is that a lot of the pride stems from somebody who has got their head kicked in for a lot of years and they get tired of it. And so they build a layer of protection around them. That's what ego is. Narcissism is like the tool to build ego. And we all have a scale of narcissism in all of us. You build an ego to do what? What's an ego supposed to do? It's protection. And so people can become resentful and cynical because leadership's very hard. Like I, I, I love when people call it the soft skill. Come on. It is the (laughs) hardest skill because it starts with me looking in the mirror every day, checking my heart and my motives and my purpose. Um, And it's very challenging to lead a group of people, to get them together as one. But the biggest pitfalls, pride is the biggest pitfall to any culture. And that stems most of the time from poor systems. It is. Systems run businesses. People run systems. Why do I say that? Well, we live 95% of our lives in habit. If I have poor systems that create poor habits and poor results, and then, you know, oftentimes what you'll hear leaders do is they'll look at their job. We need to work harder. I'll guarantee you something. If you work harder at a poor system, you're going to get a lot more poor results. So that's, to me, the biggest problem is leaders do not take time. This is something I, I have to teach my clients how to do is Rest, relax, and evaluate. Stop. Give us some examples of what poor systems look like. Sure. Context would be manufacturing company has, they make parts for automobiles. They make a drive shaft. 
And so their normal way of doing it, and they've just done, we've just done this for 30 years. It's just the way it's always been done. Y'all heard that one before? This, mm-hmm. That's a big culture killer. They have 20% scrap. It's real life. This happens. They just learn to deal with the scrap. 20% scrap. Imagine that. 20% scrap. You're, you're making your profitability is about 3 to 5%. But you've got 1,000 orders. You've got to get out. But you got 20% scrap. You're looking at me going, what? You wouldn't evaluate that? No, <laughs> I wouldn't. Why? Because I got a thousand orders I got to get out the door in a week. So I deal with the fact that it's just the way I do life. And then I get more and more used to that. But then I'm angry and resentful. So that's a poor system of thinking. There's obviously poor systems. That result is telling you there's a poor system in the way it is being manufactured. And then I walk in and I go, tell you what, I don't want any consulting fee at all. You just pay me half of what I'll save you in scrap. Sound good? Okay. I know I can help you fix this, and then the money we'll make on that, I'll be more than happy with. And are people just too busy? They're like in the rat race or the hamster wheel that they don't have time to stop and evaluate the systems? Yeah. and and, Or it's just habit. Like, we've always done it. We've always done it. You said it. You said it, Beth. It's the thinking. It's I get used to thinking this way, and then the danger, most dangerous part is to come to acceptance that this is just the way things are. And that's why we teach, as I shared with you all, the growth mindset versus fixed mindset, how amazing and powerful that is. But also when you start looking at fixed mindset, you go, oh my gosh, it's like everybody I run into has a fixed mindset. I'm powerless. I can't do it. It's, it's no different for business owners. They settle because the prospect, because we all, to a certain extent, every human being does this because our bodies, our emotions, they tell us, it'll be too hard to change. You know how hard it's going to be. And we give ourselves 500 what-if scenarios. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And I always tell my clients these goofy things. I goes, well, if frogs had pockets, they'd carry guns and shoot snakes. <laughs> we can do what-if stuff all day long. But the truth is you'll never know until you try. And if it's, if it's going to be potentially better than it is now, then it's worth a shot. And so that's part of my job as a consultant is I just – I reduce to the ridiculous. So it's one thing we can do differently. So back to the system thing, though, Beth. First is you heard that. That is so common. What I just said is so common. And you would go, what? Now, the 3 to 5% could be $15 million, okay? So they're not in the soup line. But here's the greater problem, is the culture problem. These people on the floor with all this scrap don't know when the scrap is coming. So I make 10 parts. Two of them are going to be bad, but I don't know which ones they are. And I'm working my butt off to get these parts out. And I got to throw these parts away because these machines aren't working properly. No one's maintenance them. No one's looked at the build box to see what could be wrong with this because we're just running, running, running. We don't have time to mess it up. And there's a lot of patchwork. People take, they're like MacGyver. They take gum and paper clips. <laughs> and duct tape. It's, this is real life. Like this is stuff that you run into all the time. What we have to do, and this is what the enemy is so good at, he twists us up and spins us like a top Gets us to be like this ball of yarn where we think it's impossible to change. And so we accept. And so what I do is I go in and I go, can we, like I'll evaluate and I'll go, can we just, I don't know, take 15 minutes and evaluate, just 15 minutes. Can you give me 15 minutes? Okay, I can give you 15 minutes. Why? Because that's a a small, you got to start really tiny. 
Okay, I can give you 15. Okay, let's go to the machine. It's, it's busting out a lot of scrap. Why do you think that is? I'm just sit there and, well, it looks like, okay, yeah, all right, cool. We don't have to solve this today, because that's the other thing. We think change has to be all at once. It doesn't. Mm. Let's go one iteration at a time. And the whole idea of sin, too. I think that, you know, in the Christian church especially, it's like we talk about sin. Sin actually means to miss the mark. It could be a, a moral thing inside where we got to re-surrender ourselves to God and we got to say, hey, God, I missed the mark today in surrendering to you, and that resulted in some bad behavior. We almost look like like sin is this massive, crazy thing, and then there's a lot of judgment, and then a lot of shame, and yada, and well, that goes to business too, is the business owner thinks, if I can't get this right, I, I'm shamed, I'm no good, I'm not, I'm worthless, I'm POS, whatever, you go down the list, and you know, that's what happens. Instead of going, no, I missed the mark. And the good news is, I can take a new action. So that's the systems that I'm talking about. And it is in every business. Our assessments are really good about evaluating where you currently are. I allow the psychologists and sociologists to do the other kinds of tests where we, you know, really teach people how to communicate to one another based on personality and things like that, which is very important. But my assessments are more, how do you currently operate mechanistically so that I can help you out of this subconscious pattern of less than you want? I won't call it failure, but less than you really want. So systems run businesses, businesses people bus run systems. Like reduced to the ridiculous, you would recommend like start looking at all your systems. 100%. Do not give your people popsicles and get them together on Fridays for a powwow unless it has context. What you really do to build a great culture is you build better systems so that people can do their job more efficiently and effectively, and people will be happy. And they will tell all their friends about your company and how you know how you contribute to this purpose and vision bigger than self. That's really what people want. That is the number one intrinsic motivation. Oftentimes, you just need to sit down with your people and listen to them. As a leader, you don't do a lot of the jobs. You probably don't even know how to do a lot of the jobs. But if you sit down and you listen to your people and say, what are your barriers? What's holding you up? They can be a key to fixing those systems. But you're right. You can talk about ego. If you think you're supposed to know everything and have all the answers, that's where you get tripped up. Mm -hmm. I think that in context, the higher you go as a leader, you need to know 20% of the iceberg in context to how this department, this division, this construct affects the whole. You can't know more than that. You just can't. You just have to know how this weaves into the tapestry and make sure that the direction is clear and the results are clear to the person leading it. And then, yeah, you let them do their job, get out of their way and try to remove all the barriers and roadblocks. And that's big thing that I talk about all the time. This is my big question to every leader is, are you doing everything in your power to put the people who work for you in the best position to succeed? That is your obsession as a leader. That's the question. Am I putting my people in the best position to succeed? What could be in their way? And that's where leaders got to lift their heads up and look at the macro. Constantly look at the macro. What could be in our way? What systems could be hurting us? You were asking about church. Is the experience we want people to have? And I know church is 
it's such an awesome thing. It's getting people to experience what? The presence. The presence of God. And when I mean presence, I mean presence. I am present. I'm not striving. I'm not wanting. I'm not aspiring. I'm not trying to build my own ego. There's no shortage of that in any any organization, including churches. It is, I am here to be in the presence. And so what systems here are providing us and the people here with that opportunity is the way we greet, is the way we hug, is the way that we run our services doing that. I'm an okay speaker. I can get people pretty pumped up. But if that gets in the way of them in the presence of God, then all I've done is build my ego and I've created an egoic God, ultimately. That's where if we know the purpose of having a church service, every other thing that comes with it is all for that end. So that's how you build that kind of culture within the church as well. It's the same process. So I do have a question about, you work with a lot of executives and CEOs. What about the person that's not the the big boss? Oh, yes, I love this question. What about them? Because yeah. they still play a part in culture, but sometimes it's so easy to think like, well, if the boss wasn't, uh, you know, you pin it on the boss. So what's your advice for folks who are not in the top leadership position or on the senior leadership team, how can they still impact culture mm -hmm. in a positive way? 100%. And I can speak about this one with authority because I've been in that position and was able to make some headway from the middle. So first thing, go back to context. Every person in an organization is their own incorporation. I think it's so important in a free market enterprise that everybody understands that, that they are an incorporation. So, so let me give you context to that. Michael Ross Incorporated is also an owner slash partner at High Performance, an HBK company, which is a subsidiary of HBK that has seven subsidiaries. Michael Ross is not an employee of High Performance. High Performance is Michael Ross's number one client. Make sense? It's a completely different way to look at business. It's good. They're my number one client. I actually, when I serve high performance clients, I'm serving my number one client's clients. So first thing is people need to understand that they are free agents. We all know it with the great resignation, all the turnover people had during that time. Everybody's a free agent. My gosh. When people go into the organization, they should be looking at it as my job here is to take really good care of my client's culture, to help my client reach their vision, to help my client fulfill their purpose. That's my first charge. That is your number one job as this incorporation that is a part of this organization. You help them fulfill their purpose and their period. That's your focus. So with that said, there's also the agreement. It's an employee agreement, could be a salary agreement, could be a profit sharing agreement, however it's done, their contract, so to speak, to work for the organization. And they have to give a certain set of value in order to get the value certificates of money in return. So what that person needs to be doing is looking at how do I help bring more value here? And if this culture is not where I would like it to be or where I think it should be in order for it to be successful, the first thing is 
Look at the systems. As an incorporation, are you building your own systems? This is why I, I'm big on creating leadership cultures. Because if you empower each person to think, behave, and communicate like a leader, and they go into it as an incorporation, the systems get reduced to the ridiculous. They should go in thinking, do I have my systems in place? And if they do, the second thing is you help another. Mm -hmm. Once you got your house in order, go help somebody else. Because I'm telling you, you reach across the aisle and you help somebody evaluate what is their roadblocks and their, their job, and you help them solve that, they're going to thank you and you'll work better together. And then you can weave that into the tapestry. Now, if there is, I think specifically what people often want to know is if I'm a part of an organization where the leaders treat people poorly, they're very, very egoic, narcissistic, yada, yada, go down the list and they don't live the values they espouse. What would I do as an incorporation? First thing is I would confront it. I did this. I confronted CEOs, vice presidents of the organization I was in to say, you say you're doing this. This is not what you are doing. I did it one-to-one. -one, and one thing that we all have to do, no matter if you're in the middle or the top, is we have to remember that we are in control of three things. We are all in control of these. And this is about it in life, is our own attitude, our own effort, and our own level of cooperation. We cannot control much other than that. I can set boundaries. I can make sure that me as the incorporation, I have expectancy that when you said we're going to live these values and you're not, you're treating people like crap or you're not doing what you're saying you're going to do, that we have a conversation and make sure that's cleaned up. Because I want to make sure I'm tying myself to the right place because my incorporation wants to grow. And then you have to evaluate constantly. Is the vehicle of this client, is it taking you the incorporation where you want to go? Or is it inhibiting you? So you may have to do a hard look and say, this is not the place for me to be. I need to go someplace else. Yeah. And Beth, I've had so many conversations with clients who I don't beat around the bush. I just tell the truth as much as I can and how I see it, I guess. And that is, I don't listen to, there's four things that kill cultures quicker than anything else. And they're powerless behaviors. And it's forgetting that I control my own attitude, my own effort, my cooperation is blaming, complaining, deflection, and excuses. They're the most powerless and toxic behaviors. And oftentimes, the poor cultures, the toxicity that people talk about, it's usually at the middle and lower levels. There's also blaming, complaining, deflection, and excuses at the top as well. But you'll see the vast amount of that in the middle and lower levels because they will not confront those issues. And most of the time, the leaders are doing so much, they don't know all the stuff that's going on. Most of the time, it's not for lack of good intention. They just have ignorance, and ignorance is not bliss. That's what I would tell somebody is, if there is an issue and you see us not living what we espouse, you've got to confront it. And it's hard to do. And yes, you'll have hits of cortisol and adrenaline hitting your body. You'll be sick to your stomach the night before. <laughs> I've done it. That's why I could speak to that. Stayed up all night worrying about all the what ifs. Fine. Do it anyway. <laughs> do it anyway, because that will make you powerful. That will give it a chance to get better because nothing will change without a confrontation. It just will not. And the confrontation can create resolve and change moving forward. And I'm telling you, done this for 15 years. Most of the time, when we do our assessments and the truth comes out, the leaders that I work with go, oh my gosh, I had no clue. And then people are, meh, 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 meh. and I'm like, this is partly your fault because you didn't tell them. 
and you knew this all along, and I got to pull it out in an assessment? Come on. Let's be better than this moving forward. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that was a, I know it was a, a long way around a short question, but. So start with the systems. How you think, how you behave, how you communicate, and the context that it's in. How have you seen God show up supernaturally to impact a culture through people? Because God gives everybody free will. But I mean, have you seen supernatural transformation? Yeah. I mean, I've seen, and honestly, like God help my unbelief, but there's many times, let me back up. We have someone who is like our chief prayer officer who we pay every month and she prays for all the companies that we do work with and prays for us. So everything has to be bathed in prayer with what I do because I am like a child. I don't know what I don't know so many times. And I go in and God, most of the stuff I'm talking, actually 100% of the stuff I'm talking about, I only know because God was gracious enough to give me wisdom. And I've just done it now for so long that I have wisdom because wisdom's a deep knowing. So I don't go into an organization ever like, I used to be so scared. <laughs> but I was so seeped in prayer. And so anyways, to get to, to what you're asking about supernatural transformation, I have seen people change. The greatest miracle of all. I have seen companies that had massive turnover, bleeding out their bottom line, become very, very vibrant and healthy and whole and grow and be unified, like truly unified, not, not like us, ah, partly. No, working together as one. That is the greatest transformation. And I know it's because everything that I do is based upon my ethic, my Judeo-Christian ethic. It's where I got it all from. I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not smart enough to do that. I have just been given such a remarkable gift to do what I love to do. And I sought God out very early in my career. I said, I want to work 100% of the time in my strengths. And I just, I want to work in the marketplace in my strengths. And he led me here. And it it's the greatest privilege and pleasure. And so with that, my anointing also comes with it, that supernatural uh, gift that creates some transformation. I've seen people, yes, get saved. I had a client, this is a great story, from South Side of Boston. You know South Side Boston guys. It was all of it, legit. I'm a little bit, you know me, I'm a little bit odd. So like I, I just love people, you know, that's my gift. I really love people. So I sometimes say stuff that I don't mean to say. I'm just an exhorter and I can't help myself. So I said some things like he was going through some hard times personally. And I'm like, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. You don't tell Southside Boston guy that. He's kind of like, what? What is wrong with that? I don't like this guy. He was all like, but he saw some results in this network I was in from companies I was working with. So he reached out. He's like, hey, want your help. Long story short, I start coaching him and you know, he sees that I have an actual system for what I'm doing. I'm not just there like pumping you up. I had an actual process and system. He respected that. He started doing the things that we'd set out to do for his company, changing systems, processes. He ends up doing it. He creates results. Then I'm there. I went to Boston to visit him and we ended up, he came to my hotel room and we talked for three, four hours and he just opens up about his childhood, his life. I mean, it was, wow, unbelievable. But because I'm there helping him with something that matters to him and I'm doing it genuinely, I could charge a lot more for what I do, you know, because of the results. 
And people know that ultimately and appreciate that, yes, I got to make a living. We all do. But I, I'm in it because I really care. And then he starts just pouring his heart out to me. And then every time we get together, it's like we're getting deeper and deeper. And then ultimately I got to share the gospel with him. He gave his life to Christ. And now when we meet, all he wants me to do is teach him how to pray. That's it. When it comes to the marketplace, it's like from somebody who grew up in the church, whose dad's a pastor, there was so much grandiosity to it sometimes. Like I would hear stuff from the pulpit, and I think it's just church life in general. We get excited, and we we give into grandiosity, and we give all these like massive words. And really, it's what I found in now 15 years of doing this is it's just about the presence. It's my job is to bring the presence. And to bring the presence, I have to be present. It can be very challenging to do that. I've got to be on my P's and Q's, and I've got to learn. I've got to be an open vessel to hearing anything God has for me. But that's all it is. And so when we just show up with our gifts, God is the quarterback, and we're the receiver. And he tosses the passes, and we catch them. And it really is that free flow. Bob Bertelson has been here the last two weeks speaking to our congregation, talking about stewardship. And one of his first stories that he tells is, it's not your business, it's God's. And when you have a problem and you have given your business to God, you're like, God, you got a problem with your business. What are you going to do about it? And that is such a powerful statement instead of feeling like, I, 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 I got to do everything. Yeah. is okay, God, what are you going to do about this? Yeah. Our business is like, especially when you love what you do, it's God playing with his kids. It's like, who doesn't want to who doesn't want to have that? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's easy to stay there. I'm just saying <laughs> that's what it is. So, Michael, give us resources, something to read, something to watch, something to listen to. Yeah, so I think a good thing to – it depends on what you want. there. If you want to learn more about culture, a very – Good and practical book. It's not going to tell you how to transform. It'll give you more of the overview of what great cultures do. It's called The Culture Code by Daniel Croyle. If you really want to get into some deep mechanistic structure on how to change a culture, there is a book by a guy named Dr. Gustavo Gradinsky, and it's called Culture Trumps Everything. So it gives you some of the deep sciences behind how to create a great culture and also the mechanistic structure behind it. I think it's a fantastic read. And then as far as what to listen to, I think, you know, there's tons of good podcasts out there. I have personally been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson lately. I think just the way he thinks, how disciplined he is. That's what I've been listening to. I also think just listening to scripture is so important. Like right now I'm on the message. Like I just have been listening to the message because it's, it's practical mm -hmm. for a guy like me. But listen to the word of God. Listen to it. Just really let the presence of God sink in to your heart and mind through that. And then the last thing was something to watch. There's some language in this, so just keep that in mind. But there's a documentary on Netflix right now called Stutz. And it's a really good leadership, quick documentary. It's about an hour and a half. And a guy named Jonah Hill, who's an actor, is basically interviewing his therapist. And it's a really good watch for us as leaders to see basically how to help somebody out of their stuck state. I think it's a really good 
thing. But just mind you, there's a lot of F-bombs in it, so keep that in mind. <laughs> Michael, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do we reach you? Yeah, highperformancehbk.com is our website. And my email is mross at hbkln.com. And you can email me. There's contact information on our website. If somebody wanted a consultation, we give 30-minute consultations. If we want to talk about their business and you know how to have better leadership or better culture, that's where I would go. Hey, one more. LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Michael B. Ross. So I'm active on that one. Well, we really appreciate your time today. We could listen to you and you probably could talk about this all day long. <laughs> Um, But we do appreciate your time and sharing with us. So thanks for coming in today. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.